today. Moving on after a divorce, moving on emotionally and physically, selling your house, especially now when we're still in a pandemic. This is the Seven Figures Podcast, smart money strategies for women with Sandy Waters. Seven Figures is brought to you by Advantage Federal Credit Union. Let the equity in your home work to your advantage with an introductory rate of 1.25% with a home equity line of credit from Advantage. Equal housing lender, member NCUA. Rachel Wexler, licensed real estate salesperson at Keller Williams. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Okay, so how many years have you been doing this? Um, About five years now. Your niche, and when we were going back and forth in emails, I'm like, ooh, she's good with the T's. You said that your <laughs> niche is working with clients who are trying to move on after a divorce because this is a very different type of real estate. And you were saying that you had to learn it the hard way, how difficult it is to navigate this. And you don't want anyone else to live through, go through what you went through. That is exactly true. Um, I went through a very rough divorce myself. And at the time, I was not a realtor. Um, So I learned firsthand uh, what it's like to sell a house. When I first started going through it, I wasn't a realtor. I became a realtor because I needed to go back to work. At that point, were you really engaged with finances, the family's budget, any of that? Or was was this all no. you were thrown into the fire? I was thrown into the fire. I was, you know, I, I was married for over 20 years. My ex-husband um, is in the financial business and the financial world. So you know, when you're married, you divide and conquer, you know, uh, he didn't know what, he didn't know what medications my kids took. And I, you know, and he handled the finances, everybody has their role. Um, and so I never expected to be in this position. Um, and I just kind of let him roll with it. And I rolled with my, you know, with my roles, so to speak. And so when this kind of, you know, knocked me on my ass, so to speak, um, I really, had no idea. I mean, I still remember my pivotal moment when I was first dealing with just the house. He moved out and I was left with a house that I wasn't going to be able to um, afford long term. But I remember sitting on the floor with all, in my bedroom with all of the bills around me um, and in tears, I ended up with a late fee on my water bill because water bills are only quarterly and I didn't know that. And it was tied to a credit card of his that he'd canceled. <gasps> and by the time I found out about it, I had a late fee. Um, and it just to me was like that straw that broke the camel's back that I'm like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, this is just overwhelming. And I was trying to, you know, and a divorce is, you know, one of the most traumatic experiences you're going to go through as it is. So you've got the emotions of that. I'm trying to navigate a divorce agreement that I know the financials of it are going to have long-term effects for me. I was home with my kids for many years, so I wasn't working full-time. Um, and, and at there's this just point, so many you pieces. knew you were not going to have the upper hand because he was so well-versed in finances. He knew yes. how to navigate the system way more yes. than you did. Way more than I ever even had any idea. <laughs> were you? Uh, did you feel like at that point, that you could reach out and, and talk to somebody about this? Or was it all something that you tried to deal with on your own? Well, you know, in, in the beginning, I I tried to deal with it on my own. I did reach out. You know, I was 
you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. So I kind of learned as I went along and, you know, can have continued to learn after the fact. And, I, you know, in the beginning, I didn't know there was such a thing as um, a divorce financial planner. There are people who are certified divorce financial planners. Um, I learned that along the way, but I didn't even know back back then. Um, I engaged one. I didn't learn. I didn't know that there are two different kinds. There are kinds. There are some that act as advocates who are an advocate for you. And there are others that will that only act as neutrals. And the one that I had only acted as a neutral, but I didn't know that because I didn't know there was a difference. So while she explained things to me and allowed me to be able to sort of speak in the same financial language um, as my ex, as we were negotiating, she wasn't my advocate. Um, And that was a big difference. And I learned, you know, the hard way. There are things that I agreed to that I probably wouldn't have agreed to and things I didn't really... um, understand until until after the after the fact some of which involved my home some in, you know which involved selling a house because as i said at the point that i was negotiating that i wasn't a realtor and so there were things like you know you have to you have to discuss during all of this and agree to um when it, you know if you're going if one person's going to buy the other person out what the value is of the house we were agreeing at some point the house was going to need to be sold and the proceeds would be divided. And that part I understood. Somehow I ended up, it ended up being in my agreement. We had a HELOC on the house, which is a home equity line of credit. And somehow it got put into my agreement that I ended up being responsible for that whole thing. Oh gosh, no, how the heck did that slip through I the have <gasps> no idea. And after the fact, there was a lot of, you know, between attorneys and financial planners and everybody pointing fingers and saying, oh, oh well, you must have given, you must have gotten something else in return for that. And did you feel like nobody was really talking in layman's terms? Were they all kind of t- trying to talk above you to confuse it even more? You know, some of some of them were what I, you know, what I found out after the fact is, you know, everybody yeah, talks in their own lane, and there are a lot of attorneys that are very good at what they do um, as far as the law, but they're not necessarily financial people, yeah. and they don't. That's not area necessarily their their area of expertise, but a lot of them end up uh, negotiating things that are financial, and we actually started out in mediation, and that's. A whole other, that's a whole other topic that we can get into. And I, I didn't know at the time that um, there are mediators that are attorneys and there are mediators that aren't. And mine was not. So a mediator that is not, isn't bound by the same rules or even required to have the same education that mediators who are attorneys are. And the laws change and things change. I mean, they've changed even since I've since I've gotten divorced, the laws on alimony and taxability and who who it's a tax deduction for and who it's um, you know taxable to, that's changed. So if somebody's not up to date on all of that, you could be making financial decisions that have a grave impact on your future and your ability to own a home. And I didn't know any of that. Oh, gosh. <laughs> okay. Well, those are two great lessons right now that you just already told us yeah. in the first few minutes of this conversation. Make sure <laughs> that these people are working for you and you have somebody yeah. who's well-versed in not only the legal side of it, but the financial side of it and vice versa. Correct. Correct. So how old are your kids now? So my eldest is 24 and then I, and I, and my twins are 19, almost 20. So yeah. So we're, 
were doing, you know, they're, they're, they're doing well now. Um, it was a very, very rough road for all of us. Um, I'm in a fantastic relationship with a wonderful man um, who's also in the financial field. Apparently I have a type. Oh, there you uh, go. <laughs> Um, but now you know, are you more engaged with what's going on financially oh, ab- or do, do you feel like you still kind of lean on him? No, I mean, I, I, you know, and he's great too. He's also been through a divorce and, and, you know, and there are times when I try because, you know, sometimes your brain just hurts with all this stuff yeah, and you yeah. don't really want, but he pushes back. I mean, he makes me, especially because now, now that I am a realtor too, I have my own business. So I had to not only learn it as far as the house finances and the fact that I'm also educating my clients in it, I run a business now. So I've had to learn that along the way as well, um, because I'd never run a business before. And this was all new for you, a whole new world. How did you fall into, so here you are, okay, you have kids, you're a single mom, you realize that you signed all these documents that totally were not in your favor financially. How did you yep. pick yourself up and say, all right, I guess real estate is where I'm going to go? Sure. Um, well, it's, you know, it's funny. I was, I was reading the newspaper, one of those old school people, still get mm. the paper, and uh, noticed an ad for, um, uh, for a real estate broker. And they were talking about what a great career it was for moms because of, because of the flexibility in the schedule. Mm. And it was, it was the same brokerage that the realtor I'd always used um, she worked for them. In fact, like I went to high school with her son and whatever. So I called her and said, Hey, you know, she knew what was going on. What do you think? Do you think I'd be good at this? And she said, Oh my goodness, I think you'd be great. Come talk to my broker. Um, and I did, and he was fantastic. And he said, go get your license and come back. Um, and I did it. And I don't think before this situation, I ever would have had the confidence in myself to have done that. Um, I had sort of basically based on the roles that we'd been in and the relationship with my ex was kind of made to feel as if I wasn't financially astute. Mm -hmm. Um, and I never would have had the confidence. I was always terrified by the, I, I always thought real estate was interesting, but the financial piece of it scared me. Um, you know, I, that it seemed way too complicated and mortgages and loans and all of that. Um, but I figured, well, I, you know, I, I've got to, I've got to do something. So let's try this out. Um, you and do I have to have confidence in real estate, though. Just you do. It, as an industry, it's pretty, it's pretty tough. Yes, it is. I mean, there are a lot of Rose Realtors out here. There, um, we're all independent contractors. So you're in business for yourself. You know, I don't get benefits. I don't get paid vacation time or sick time or anything. I'm 100% commission. If I don't find clients and sell houses and buy houses, I don't make any money. Um, And, and, you know, and and these startup costs are not, um, you know, they're they're not minor. There are a lot of, there are a lot of costs involved. Um, So luckily I did end up with, um, with alimony or spousal maintenance, whatever you want to call it. And that's, um, that was a necessity. I, I used it exactly for the reason that it's supposed to be used. I needed to be able to get back up on my feet financially and get back into the working world. And I'd been out of it for so many years. Um, what I used to do, I, I don't think that I necessarily could have gone back into it. So what was I that? need, uh, I actually have a degree in communication and journalism. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> there you go. I know. <laughs> but you know, 
for me, it, you know, it was, it was PR and all that, but, but it was, you know, 20 something years ago before technology and before, um, you know, before, you know, Facebooking and the internet and all of that, um, which I've ended up learning, you know, through real estate, but it just wasn't, you know, wasn't the same thing that I had gone for my degree in. Um, so I just, you know, for me, I think that's also part of the reason I've been successful is this is, this is serious for me. You know, there are a lot of realtors that are part-time or they try to do it on the side or they still have another job. And that's not me. I am in this 110% and I have to be successful. I have three kids and I can't afford to not be Uh, successful. What would you say to that person right now that is just starting the process of getting a divorce and they feel overwhelmed, lost, exhausted, every other emotion you can think of. Call me and I'll take you out for a drink. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Seriously, I have, I mean, it's funny. You just kind of, I have had over, you know, over the past few years, I'll, I'll get ran, I'll get texts from people that either I know, or I've been talking to years that says, oh my goodness, you know, such and such friend, you know, just found out that, you know, that she's going to be going through a divorce. Would you meet her for coffee? And I do. And I I don't, Uh, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it because I hope, because I want them to use me. I'm doing it because I've been there and it's so hard to know, you know, you don't, as I said, you don't know what you don't know. And I would never want anyone to be in that situation. And it's the type of thing that you really, you can't understand if you haven't been in those shoes, you know, just like, you know, Thank goodness I've never had a child with, you know, with a childhood disease. I can't understand or I can't understand what it would be like to have, you know, a child with autism or whatever. You you know what you've experienced. And if you've never experienced, it's just really hard to wrap your head around it. And I wish there had been somebody there for me as far as a resource to just call up and say, hey, you know, this is being suggested to be put into my agreement. What do you think about this? Or I'm thinking of you know, doing this or going this way? What are the, what's the pros and cons between collaborative law and mediation and, and being, you know, with a straight out attorney or, you know, what, what I, what should I be looking for as far as whether I, how do I decide whether I should stay in my house or not? How do I know whether I can afford my house or not? Um, You know, those are all questions that most people have never had to think about. Yeah. Okay, so now let's pivot to um, what's going on with the whole coronavirus. (laughs) A a lot of people, an influx of people who are looking for a new job. Is real estate one of those industries that you think is in high demand or will soon be in high demand? How is it impacting your industry? As far as other, as far as new realtors, the idea of joining it as a a profession? Yeah. Um, I think, well, I, I, I do think that, uh, everything that's happened with COVID is really changing the way this industry operates. Um, there, it's you know it it has changed over the years, but technology now is imperative. It's not an option anymore. Um, if you are not fluent and able to learn how to adapt and bring new technology into what you do you're not going to be able to be successful in this business. You know, there's the old school realtors that would be able to put a sign on the lawn and bake some cookies for an open house and sit there and just sell a house that way. Um, Or, you know, print up, print up some flyers. Well, in this day and age, we have to show houses virtually. We're making video tours of houses. Um, We are, 
the documents that clients have to sign to buy and sell a house, were you doing it, it virtually with mm. programs like Authentisign? And so you have to be very comfortable on a computer. We're doing Zoom home tours. Um, it's all the electronic piece has just become a necessity. Um, we have clients that need to buy everything virtually. I have, I, I've, I've had clients that I've helped buy a home that it don't set foot into it until oh they move in. Oh my gosh. So that sounds crazy I know. To Can me. you imagine? No, I know. I, I don't know does. if I could do that, I know. but yeah, well, yeah, this is okay. But so you, you got to think, you know, you got to think creatively and with every industry, I feel like yeah. we're all right now, especially being pushed to get out of our comfort zone and be a little bit more creative yep. with how we take care of the customer. What, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The housing market in Rochester specifically, does it feel like it's always level? It doesn't really reflect what's going on, does it? Rochester for the past few years has had an extremely busy real estate market. It's been a seller's market for the past few years here. We do not, and I don't think we will ever have these huge ups and downs like you see in Florida and places like that. You're never going to have houses that are that are increasing or decreasing in value by a hundred thousand dollars. Um, there will be, it, it will always be fairly steady. And there are certain areas, there are certain pockets of Rochester because of schools, because of location, because of other amenities and things like that are always going to be very popular and, mm. and, and sell well. Um, and, we are aware of those different those different towns and you have to you have to be able to act differently if you're a seller or if you're a buyer in those certain areas and even right now um business is busy i uh, you know i have i have clients that were, you know there are still multiple offers on homes even without people being able to see the homes in person sometimes until after their offer is accepted it amazes me how people are still buying selling their homes with so many people unemployed right now it is it i know it is it is fascinating and they're still selling in all price points um i you know i have a, a listing on the market for 135,000 that is extremely busy with showings and i have buyers putting in offers on $500,000 houses that have multiple offers so again the whole spectrum is still it's still busy and it's still it's still a seller's market right now. There are still, the housing uh, inventory is still low and it's became even lower during COVID because there was a slowdown in people listing houses. People were, some people were um, uncertain about listing their homes during the time, either because of just worrying about, they didn't want people coming through their houses or worried about um, whether people would actually buy a house during that time period. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody had their own reasons. So the listings, you know, for a time were lower people, but there are still people that, that have to sell their house. I mean, I have several clients that we have their houses listed because they're being transferred or they're moving and they don't have a choice. They have to get it yeah. listed. Um, but for the most part, um, they're still getting, if a house, you'll know in this market still, if you don't have an offer on your house within two weeks, chances are your house is overpriced. Ah, so oh, two it's, weeks, that's it? Yes. Yes. Wow. Yes. I, I actually was just doing some re research for um, for a client because we we're going to be putting in an offer. And in Monroe County, I pulled up recently houses over $400,000, 20 homes over $400,000 
had offers that were accepted in under a week. Some of them what just one day on the market. Oh my gosh, so they're still selling quickly. So if you're a buyer, you've got to be pre-qualified. You have to be ready to go. You have to be ready to not hesitate. A lot of homes are still doing what's called delayed negotiations, which means you put a house on the market, just say on Monday, and it's listed that, okay, we're putting the house on the market on Monday. We'll be reviewing all offers on Friday at 6 p.m. The reason that they do it at one is it, the nice part is, is it gives people time to see a house without having to necessarily get in to see it the first day it's on the market. Because when they don't have delayed negotiations, sometimes by the time you can get a, an appointment to come see it, the house is gone. Mm. Um, on the other, on the flip side, they're also doing it because they're hoping that they'll, that there'll be a bidding war that if people think, okay, gee, the house is, they're going to be reviewing offers at Friday at six o'clock there's probably going to be several offers. So we need to make sure to make our offer good because we're going to be competing against other offers that they're going to be looking at during the same time. And there's tips and tricks and things that you can do to try to make your offer the best that it can be and, and, and guidelines to help make your offer stand out that, uh, you, that we can help you with. But it is. Well, give me some of those. Give me the top three <laughs> tips and tricks. Either the top three tricks. to make the offer most appealing or even to make your house most appealing. Well, as far as, so as far as buyers to make your offer most appealing, one, you need to work with a realtor. (laughs) Don't try to do this on, on your own. We, you know, we do it all the time, both for selling and buying. It's even more important right now, especially with everything going on with COVID. There's a lot of people that just got lulled into the idea of, oh, it's such a seller's market. I can just do a for sale by owner and stick a sign in the lawn. But there's, there's COVID disclosures that need to be signed. There's, there's negotiations that need to happen. You need to understand what goes into all of these different things. Um, so, you know, work with a realtor that 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 knows what they're doing, that 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 fits your style. Not every realtor is for you. You need to find one that works with your style. You know, if you're somebody that 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 texts, is your realtor gonna text you? And are they, you know, if you would prefer emails, are they going to email you? Are they available at the times that you need them? You know, that's the challenge with realtors that do it part-time. If they have another job and they're working in a pediatrician's office, are they going to be able to be, be free to show your to show you a house when it goes on the market? Okay. Things like that. Um, as well as the terms of an offer. You know, one of the things, um, being pre-qualified, that's, that, that's the biggest thing, is that's really your first step. There are people that think, oh, gee, we go, we look at houses, we find houses that we want, we go see them. And then if we want to make an offer, then we'll worry about the finances. But more and more, especially with things like COVID, when people don't want hundreds of people tracing through their house that are just bored and and decided that they want to come see a house, you know, after watching HTV for months, (laughs) they, there are... There are a lot of the listings are now saying before we will even schedule to allow you to see a house, you must have a pre-qualification letter. So what so what that is, is you have to you talk to a bank, you talk to a mortgage lender. It's usually just a 10 or 15 minute phone call. It's it's not a pre-approval. It's a pre-qualification. So they're not doing like a hard pull on your credit and they're taking your word for it for most of the stuff. They're asking you questions about your employment and your salary and your debt. They're trying to figure out your debt to income ratio. Um, but they're taking your word for it. If they discover things later on in the process, if you actually go to buy a house, um, you know, things can change as far as, you know, as what, whether you actually got to get approved. Sure. But initially 
what they do is they issue a, a pre-qualification letter that says, yes, you're pre-qualified to purchase a house up to X amount, you know, $300,000 or whatever. And it would also say if you need to sell your current home in order to pre-qualify for purchasing another home, because that's another contingency. And that's a contingency that used to be standard, that you would say, I'll buy a house, but it's, it's the contingency is I have to sell my own house. And because it's become such a seller's market the past few years, most sellers won't accept that. They won't accept a, Ooh, a an offer really? that's contingent oh, upon oh selling. Yes. Gosh. So you pray that yes. your house can sell within those two weeks that you said. You, you, <laughs> you yeah, you, you, you pray that, you know, you put, you get your house ready and, and some people sell their house first before they, before they go looking for it, if they can't afford to float both or they can't afford to pre-qualify. But not only is it important to have that pre-qualification letter, it's important who the bank is that that pre-qualification letter is from, because that go, you know, there are, there are mortgage lenders who will remain nameless that advertise on TV um, that, you know, they'll give you a pre-qualification letter in three minutes. Um, they'll also give a pre-qualification letter to anybody with a heartbeat. Uh, so a well, realtor will How do you know if your look... bank is one of the, the appealing banks? You talk to your realtor. That's, ah. that's another reason you need a realtor. The realtors know we work with lenders from okay. all of them and we can tell, we can tell you the pros and cons of them and how difficult or easy they are to work with. Um, we have contacts, you know, I usually, for the most part, I only work with lenders for the most part that I have their cell phone number so that I can really? text them. They need, they need to be available when my people buy houses when they're not working. So people buy houses on evenings and weekends. Uh, I need yeah. that lender. That lender needs to be available when my buyer needs to buy a house. If I need a pre-qualification letter on a Saturday at four o'clock, I need a lender that can give that to me. Oh, how demanding you are. Okay. <laughs> <Would>, uh, <laughs> we like here on the podcast, we like uh, credit unions. And, and credit unions have fantastic rates. You, you know, it's many times you cannot beat the rate of a credit union. Depending on the credit union, sometimes their hours are a challenge. They're a bank. They work bankers hours. Sometimes it's hard to get a hold of them on the evenings yeah. and weekends. So it's a, you know, it depends. Everyone is different. Okay. So now selling a house, what is a, what is a tip that you can give us for selling a house? And then specifically, I wanted, before we, before we end this, remind me that we have to talk about divorce too, because that's, that's your niche. Yeah. So tip on yep. selling the house first. So tip on selling the house. Um, I would say the first thing is people buy pretty people. People have become much more educated. They all watch HGTV. They all know, you know, they, they, you, they can look online and they can go, go online looking at pictures of houses at 2 a.m. So they're much more knowledgeable and um, discerning than they may have been in the past. And they expect to walk in a house and they, they don't want to have to try to envision them. They want to be able to easily envision themselves in the house. So we always tell people that you, your house needs to be ready. And I always tell people, you know, horizontal surfaces need to be clear. They don't want to come in and see all of the, you know, the pictures and the photographs and everything on your refrigerator and dishes in the sink and your toilet seat lid up. And I mean, there's, you know, it, well, it's amazing. Some of the pictures that you see, you know, they're terrible pictures in the house, you know, there's toys yeah, strewn yeah. all over and I get it. You know, I have three kids. I get it. It's, you know, it, it can be very difficult to, you know, to get a house ready. And it's not fun to live in a house that's ready for, you know, to sell, but, you know, curb appeal is important. 
and people want to be, you know, they don't want to come in and, and automatically have to start adding up, oh, gee, I would need to replace the carpet and, oh, gee, that would have to go. And, oh, my goodness, look at that roof. It's about to cave in. And, and they, they, they're mentally calculating in their head how much more money is it going to take on top of the purchase price of the house for them to be able to move in and feel comfortable. Okay. All right. And then specifically with those people dealing with a divorce, the biggest lesson or the biggest tip you can give? Yeah. Um, I think for people that are going through a divorce, um, you will, first you have to evaluate, is it even, does it even make sense? You know, I would never want someone to sell their house if it doesn't make sense for them to sell. Sometimes financially, it doesn't make sense. Sometimes financially, sometimes you can make an agreement with your spouse. You know, if you've got kids that are in school or whatever, sometimes you can make an agreement that says you can live in the house for X number of years or whatever until you have, you know, it's, mm-hmm. and that you don't have to put it on the market until the kids are, you know, seniors in high school or whatever else. So that can be a possibility. Sometimes you buy the other person out of the um, of the cost of the house. So there you need to get a value of the house, which is something that a realtor can provide you with. We They're called comparative market analysis. You don't have to pay for an official appraisal. Um, but if your spouse provides you with a comparative market analysis from a realtor, they know you have every right and you should find your own realtor to get them to provide you with one. Don't just take your soon-to-be ex-spouse's realtor's value on it. Um, it may be the same. I, you know, I've been, I've been called in. I've had, I work with a bunch of attorneys and divorce financial analysts, and I've been, I've been asked to give my opinion on what a home is worth. And there are times when I, you know, when I will know what the other side is saying, and I'll say, yeah, I agree that, you know, that, that, that is a fair, that's a fair assessment of what it is. But then there are times that, that it's not so that, that you're like, no, his buddy is yeah. BS and everybody. That right. Right. Not- they're, to- they're, they're totally, they're totally lowballing you because yeah. you know, they don't, you know, they, they don't want to, you know, give you what the house is worth. So, yeah. um, you know, so you just need to make sure, you know, make sure that you are on equal footing and that you have the same, uh, you know, the, the same knowledge that the other spouse has. And it is possible. I have done many deals where I am, working with both sides where I'm working with both oh, the man and the woman. And it's, <laughs> it's interesting and it's, you know, and it's, but I, that's the other piece that I think to why it's important to be yeah. with, to deal with somebody that's been through it. I get it. I've been in yeah. houses where the, where those children don't know yet that their parents are getting divorced. Mm. I've been the, I've been the decorator. <laughs> I've been the friend. I've been, you know, the Mary Kay lady. I've been the whatever, because I'm coming in talking to these adults and there's young kids around that don't know that their parents are getting divorced. And that is such, you know, it's a heartbreaking situation, but I get it. And sometimes the adults have to do those things before, for whatever reason, before, before they get a chance to, to talk to the kids and, and just even recognizing that if I'm dealing with two spouses and I'm talking to both of them, I'm not going to text them together. That's, that's not a good idea. I will deal fairly with both of them. I am legally obligated to deal fairly with both of them, but there are ways to do that, that make both people feel understood and valued and that they are not um, sacrificing anything by dealing with one realtor. And sometimes I've, I've been assigned by attorneys before. 
sometimes they can't agree and then the attorney will assign me as the realtor. Rachel Wexler, she works for Keller Williams. How can we get a hold of you? How can we uh, ask you uh, for advice and have you take us a drink? <laughs> sure, <laughs> you can. You, you are anybody who anybody is welcome to do that. <laughs> Coffee, wine, anything, you know. Um, so my my website is homesbyrachelwexler.com. It's R A C H E L W E X L E R.com. Um, and my cell phone, which lives next to me, <laughs> um, is uh, 585-943-8811. And uh, I'm, as I said, I'm always available. I have teenagers, so I'm used to text at, at you know, please don't text me at 2 a.m., but I, I'll, I'll think you're a teenager and you got into a car accident yeah. or something. So. Oh, gosh, that's true. <laughs> don't do that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, don't do that. And and my email address as well is it's rachelwexler at kw.com. Perfect. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Thank you.